2nd, July 2nd, 1776, a guy by the name of John Hancock started, he wrote a document that was declaring independence. And two days later on July 4th, Congress passed this Declaration of Independence. And it's a document that has changed over the years, but it's simply put, it is a document that declared our independence and showed our freedom to the world, that America was a place of freedom. It was a life-defining event that took place on that day over 200 years ago. And we still celebrate it today. We celebrate by doing what? Blowing up fireworks, right? Tons of fireworks. We blow those up and we eat a lot of food and we make bad decisions sometimes, uh, eating too much food. But we celebrate our independence and our freedom every year from that thing that they did over 200 years ago. It was life-defining. And we all have those in our lives. You have a life-defining moment, probably more than one. I know one that I have I look to happened in October of 2008. When I was in college, I was, uh, my original degree was management information systems. So I was going to be doing a job where I work with computers and sitting behind a desk all day. And uh, my wife, girlfriend at the time, was supportive of me, but in her mind was like, that probably doesn't seem like it would be a good fit for Aaron. Uh, but she was supportive of it. Uh, but I remember when I was at University of Missouri, St. Louis, I started taking some classes that were more advanced in this degree on things like HTML coding and JavaScript and C++ programming and all these things. And I realized this was not going to be something I want to do for the rest of my life. And the funny thing is I just proposed to my girlfriend. So I'm like, hey, you want to get married? I don't know what I want to do. If you want to, you should, you should get married to me. Uh, but I remember I had a life-defining moment one day. So for the previous eight months, I had been helping run our Wednesday night youth group programming. Our youth pastor from our church had left, and me and a few of my friends wanted to pick up the youth group because we wanted to keep it going. So been teaching lessons every Wednesday night, doing songs, planning Wednesday night programming, and I've been doing that for a number of months. And as I was leaving for youth group on this Wednesday night in October... And I remember I turned on the radio because I didn't really have a plan for youth group that night. We were just going to play some games and do some songs and talk about the importance of worship music in our lives. But I remember I turned on the radio and the song that was on the radio on my way in was a song by Casting Crowns called East to West. And the song is adapted from a scripture that Pastor Brian shared with us last week. It's from Psalm 103 and it says, God has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And I remember just a day or two prior, I had been watching a video of the guy who wrote this song explaining how beautiful of an image this is, of our sins being cast out as far as the east is from the west, and how if you hold a globe and you go north, eventually you're going to hit the North Pole and then go south. And then you'll go south, and then you'll end up going north, and they meet each other, the north and south. But if you go east, you're never going to stop going east. It never meets the west. And this beautiful imagery that our sins are cast out that far from each other, they'll never meet. And I, so that night, I felt like God called me to teach this lesson to these teenagers. And I shared a message, and I don't know how long I went for, probably too long. Uh, but I shared a message, and after that evening, after a youth group that night, I felt like God had called me to something greater and had called me to do this with my life, to connect with teenagers, to share the gospel, and that God had given me a gift to do that. It was a life-defining moment for myself, and, and you have them as well. Maybe it was the day you got married. That was a life-defining moment for me as well. Not your wedding, mine. Maybe it was the day that you chose to follow Jesus. 
Maybe it was a day that you gave up something that had been holding its grip on your life. Or you started doing something to pull yourself closer to Jesus. We all have life-defining moments. And we've been in a series called The Feast of Israel where we've been focusing on life-defining moments for Jewish people. We've been talking through a bunch of feasts. Well, today we're going to look at a couple feasts. The Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now these two were kind of, by the time Jesus walked on earth, they kind of got mashed together, kind of like happened at the same time. And we're going to talk through these feasts a little bit and how they apply to us today. If, especially, if we're not Jewish, they may not apply to us as, as a Jewish person, but what the symbolism from these feasts applied to us today and how Jesus fulfilled them. But the thing about the Passover and unleavened bread is the Passover was a life-defining event for generations. The Passover was something that happens to Jews that Jews to this day, later this week, are going to celebrate something that happened thousands of years ago, and it was the Passover. And it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so let's see what the Unleavened Bread Feast is all about. We're going to be in our Bibles in Exodus chapter 12. So if you got your Bible, it's a great place to turn to. We're going to be reading. This is when God set forth these feasts, the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread to the Jews. In Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14, God said, This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all you may do. Verse 17, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. Why? Because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. This idea, I love how God is very practical in what he has his people do. Very practical because the reason that they were supposed to be doing unleavened bread is because the part of bread that takes a while to make is the leaven. You put the leaven in, it rises. Any bakers in here know this, that this is what helps the bread to rise and I think what gives it really good flavor, right? So the leaven is a part of that process. Well, God said, I'm going to be delivering you from the captivity you're in in Egypt right now, and during this time, you're not going to have time to wait for the bread to rise. So during this week, have unleavened bread so you are ready to go whenever I deliver you from Egypt. They had been in Egyptian captivity for generations, and God was about to save them from that. And the thing about leaven, to a Jewish person, leaven represents corruption. It represents sin in their lives. So God has them physically remove the leaven from their lives, and during that time, they are also supposed to be removing it spiritually from their hearts the corruption that happens from the leaven. And this is a, this feast, this feast is what leads us to Jesus. Hundreds of years later, Jesus walks on the earth. He comes into Jerusalem and he's on this donkey and it's what we call Palm Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey and the people have these palm branches and they're laying them down at his feet saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're praising him. They know, he, they believe he's the Messiah. Right now they do. A lot of them are going to change their minds pretty soon. Because what happens is the next day, Jesus does something pretty crazy. He does something that a lot of people would never do in his situation. But he goes into the temple, and he, spread, and he cleanses it. And he 
destroy some of the things that they are doing because at this time in Israel, they had turned the temple into not a place of worship, into a place where they were trying to just make money and they were trying to put themselves first and make themselves greater. So in Matthew chapter 21, we see this. Jesus entered the temple. Again, this is the day after Palm Sunday. And he entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, a lot of scholars believe that this is the week that Jews by this point were celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's some beautiful imagery here of while the Jews are at home cleansing out their homes of the leaven, Jesus is in the temple cleansing it of its corruption. It's a very powerful visual that Jesus puts in place. And this is what starts his last week on earth. It leads us to good, what we call Good Friday, where he shares a Passover meal with his disciples and where he is betrayed and where he eventually is crucified and raises from the dead. And that takes us to Passover. So again, by this time Jesus was here, they are all celebrated about the same time, 11 bread and Passover. But to learn a little bit about Passover and what it is, we're gonna go back to Exodus. So Acts, Exodus chapter 12 Starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Now, just to take a quick second here, this, what's getting ready to happen is a big deal. God's get, God says, you're going to now start your year based on this, because it's going to be life-defining. This will define your life, define you as a Jewish person, what's going to happen on this day. And so this Passover that's getting ready to happen, I want to tell you a little bit about why it needs to happen. The Jews have been in captivity for so many years under Egyptian slavery. Egyptians, they forced them to do things that they weren't able to do, and, and they killed some of them, and they did some awful, awful things. And then God called a guy named Moses and Moses had a life-defining moment when God spoke to him as a burning bush. Moses said, I can't do it, God. I'm not able to speak for you. I, I, I'm not good at speaking. You send someone else. So then God says, all right, your brother, Aaron, great guy. I mean, come on, right? So your brother, Aaron's going to go with you, and he likes to talk. I mean, come on. That's what a great name then. We all get this, right? So Aaron, he said, he's going to speak for you, he's going to help you, but you are going to be the person I use to deliver my people, the Israelites, from Egypt. And so that's where we are. We have to get, we have to get out of Egypt, we have to get out of this captivity we're in. And verse 4 tells us what they're going to do on this evening. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning, 
If some is left to mourning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God has put together this meal that they are supposed to celebrate the, the God delivering them. And he says he calls it a Passover. What does that mean? What is a Passover? Why do they call it a Passover? Why not call it just a fun meal? Well, there's bitter herbs involved in it that they're supposed to eat that will make their faces go sour. So it's probably not super pleasant. But why do they call it a Passover? Well, we're going to see in verse 12 why it's called Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So the reason it's called Passover is because God literally would see the blood of this lamb they sacrificed on the doorframe of their homes and would pass over that home. See, Moses had been going to Pharaoh and saying, using God's words, let my people go. My people need to be out of Egypt. And Pharaoh said, no. He would say no, and then he'd send a plague. God sent a plague. There was plagues of frogs covering land. That sounds gross. There was, I have seen frogs in my front yard, and I, I don't like them. I can't imagine them being covered everywhere. But then, he's, then he sends plagues of, of locusts, and he sends plagues of boils on the people, and he sends plagues of death of, of livestock, turning the water into blood, darkness. Every time he sent a plague, Pharaoh said, no, I will not let you go, which takes us to Passover. This is the plague that finally has Pharaoh given. It's the death of the firstborn son. And so whenever the spirit of the Lord, that the angel of death would come through the land, if the blood of the lamb was not on the doorpost, they would lose their firstborn son. I can't imagine the pain and struggle that was going through the lives of those people. But all of this was to get his people out of Egypt. And there's something that's really important that I think is very valuable. Maybe you need to hear this today. The salvation that came from the angel of death, it didn't come down to personal worthiness. It's not like the angel of death, the spirit of God, came through, saw the blood on the doorpost, and went, oh, I got to go in first and make sure that they're good people. It didn't go in and say, oh, I got to make sure that, you know, they're honest all the time, that they don't cheat ever, they don't steal. It didn't go through and do all that. All the spirit of God saw was the blood of the lamb, and they were saved. They did not have the plague touch their home. Maybe you need to hear that today, that your personal worthiness isn't what keeps you safe, isn't what saves you. It's the blood of the lamb, and we're going to get to that here in just a moment. But the Jews celebrate this feast every year. Like I said, later this week, there's going to be Jews around the world celebrating this event, this Passover, the day that God delivered his people from Egypt, and they would share a meal together. And the Jews, they remember this by reenacting it. They literally do the meal that we just read about in Exodus, even to this day, even with unleavened bread and with eating bitter herbs. And they are remembering what happened to the Jews thousands of years ago, how God delivered them. And this was a process, this was, this was happening when Jesus walked on the earth. So this idea, Jews knew that the Lamb of God represented something powerful, 
The Lamb of God is what saved the, the Jews and what helped them be a, a people that were chosen and taken out of Egypt. So they knew this idea of a Lamb of God was a big deal. So when Jesus comes and walks on the earth, he finds his cousin, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist yells out with everyone around to hear in John chapter 1, 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John didn't just use a random word here. John specifically used words that Jews would know said that Jesus is that Passover lamb. That Passover lamb that saved the Jews from captivity in Egypt is now Jesus that will save everyone. And so whether we know it or not, we also remember by reenacting. So Jesus took a Passover meal with his disciples right before he was betrayed and killed and rose from the dead. Before all that happened, he had a Passover meal. And during that Passover meal with his Jewish disciples, he set up what we call the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. And even to this day, every Sunday, we reenact what he did. We reenact his, his way where he took the blood and the juice and blessed and said, this is how you are to remember me. You are to remember this covenant I have made with you. So we remember today by reenacting as well. The Jews remember from Passover, we remember Jesus and what he's done for us. But the beautiful thing about communion, Lord's Supper, that we're going to celebrate here in a little bit, is that it anticipates something more. Passover pointed to the past. Hey, remember what happened? Remember that we were saved through that? Remember all those things that God did for our people? The Lord's Supper looks back at what Jesus did for us, but also anticipates something more. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're anticipating something more. Jesus can't come back if he's still dead. We are proclaiming his death and ultimately that he will be coming back. So every time we take communion, every time we take this bread, every time we take this juice, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us, and we are anticipating a day in the future where we can be in a relationship with our Father once again. See, the Passover and the Lord's Supper, they both have the same aims. They remind us who we are, they remind us who God is, and they remind us what he did for us. For Jews, they are reminded that they are God's chosen people. They are reminded that God loves them, that he will, they will be his people, he will be their God. Jews are reminded that God is the God of deliverance, that God is the Holy One, the Almighty One, and they are reminded what God did for them, that he saved them from their slavery, saved them from their pain and suffering, and he delivered them. But for those of us that have called on Christ in our lives, when we take communion, it is also doing the same things. It is helping us remind us who we are. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters of Christ himself, that the blood that, he, that was slid on the cross, just like was on the doorpost of the homes, saves us. We are reminded of that. We are reminded who God is, that God is a loving father, that God is a gracious father that extends this grace to anyone who calls on his son. We are reminded of what he did for us, giving up his only son. I have a son. I have three daughters and one son. I can't imagine any situation where I give him up for anyone. Yet God gave up his only son for everyone. That is what we celebrate when we take communion. 
when we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of these things, reminded who God is, who we are, and what he did for us. If you have not taken on Christ in your life, today could be that life-defining event for you. March 28th, 2021, could be the day you finally say, I am ready to make a decision to follow Jesus with my life. I am ready to go all in. I am ready to get baptized. I am ready to live my life for him. That could be today. Today could be that life-defining event. But the thing I love about that decision is it's not just life-defining, it's eternal life-defining. That decision we make today or that decision we made in the past has eternal consequences, gives us an opportunity to be in relationship with God for eternity. And so as we get ready to take communion, we're all going to take communion here together in just a moment. If you didn't grab it on your way in, we're going to have stations in the back that you can go to in just a minute. But we are going to share communion together, and we are going to be reminded of who we are. We are going to be reminded of who God is, and we are going to be reminded of what he did for us. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for your sacrifice that you gave up your son for me. I pray that today we choose to put you first, that if we haven't made a decision to follow you through your son, that today is the day. Today is that life-defining moment. I thank you that That's all we have to do. We don't have to go through and do a bunch of stuff. We just have to put our faith in you and put our faith in what he's done for us and give our will to him. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. We're all gonna take communion together here in just a minute. So if you didn't get it, we got stations in the back and the side.